The philosopher about whom we will talk today is allegedly influential on Putin and the Kremlin, but also on Steve Bannon. His ideological influences include fascism, but also postmodernism. He has shaped a political movement called National Bolshevism, and yet he has an appeal in many in the so-called American dissident right, but also among libertarians. He is Alexander Dugin, the Russian philosopher who envisions a conflict, a cataclysmic conflict between Russia and the West. Who is this mysterious man? What are his ideas? What is, he, what is his actual influence on Putin? And why has he got an appeal among some conservatives? This is Nikos Sotirakopoulos, and this is New Ideal Live, the podcast of the Ayn Rand Institute. With me today is Zimovit Govin, a junior fellow in the Ayn Rand Institute, who is making his debut in New Ideal Live. So, Zimovit, we will discuss the ideas of, uh, of Alexander Dugin. So, first of all, tell us why is he important in terms of understanding Russia and understanding how many people in Russia view the world? Yeah, so Nikos, basically Dugin is a Russian ultranationalist who perceives the world as a chessboard of a geopolitical battle, battle between Russia and the West, especially the US as the leader of uh, the West. But for Dugin, it's much more, it's not just geopolitics, it's not just a geopolitical battle but it's also a metaphysical battle, a battle between ideas, battle between values. And so he sees the West uh, as standing for evil values, for evil uh, ideas, ideas such as freedom, progress, reason, individualism. And on the other hand, you have Russia, which stands for good values, such as tradition, religion, uh, collectivism. And so um, part, so the war in Ukraine for Dugin is just a small part, it's a smaller part of a bigger picture of this bigger, of this big battle between uh, Holy Russia and the evil West, especially evil uh, United States. And of course, he vehemently supports the war in Ukraine, uh, he's what you might call a Russian hawk. Uh, so he basically supports, he says that uh, the Russian army should be merciless uh, and use all its power to crash Ukra Ukrainians who are, according to Dugin, basically Russians, but Russians who, who don't know that they are Russians. Uh, now, as for his influence uh, in Russia, especially on the Kremlin, now it's being debated. So some people say that he's uh, Putin's brain. Some other experts point to the fact that he has no official ties to the Kremlin. He's never met with Putin. But we know that there is some influence nonetheless. And I think that last August, there was an assassination attempt some group we don't know officially who it might have been the ukrainians but we don't know who tried to take dugin down uh, now instead they they planted a bomb 
under a car that he was supposed to get in. Uh, he didn't. Uh, and instead of Dugin, his daughter, Daria, uh, died. So I think that it shows that there is some influence, some influence. And even if there is no like direct influence on the Kremlin and on Putin, he's influential in a lot of radical militant groups in Russia. And so I think, uh, I think it's enough uh, influence uh, so that we can discuss uh, this uh, figure. And we know for a fact that uh, Dugin used to teach in the military academy of the of the general staff of the of the Russian army. We know that he has the ear of many high-ranking uh, uh, Russian officers, and also we know that there are many influential people, people with money in Russia, that uh, give their support to the ideas of Dugin. So the first thing I want our audience to understand is that. Dugin is fundamentally and openly opposed to the West as West understood as a civilization. So his main problem is not American imperialism. His main problem is not uh, uh, some particular leadership in the United States. He's opposed to the West as a civilization because he's openly opposed to individualism and he's openly opposed to the idea of freedom and to the idea of modernity. So it's very rare that you have a philosopher who opens his cards and say, these are my premises. And his premises are openly, I am against modernity. I want to return to a point of time, which is before modernity. So tell us a bit more about the idol, the, the history of this guy, because it's quite interesting to see from how many movements he has collected his ideas. So as we'll see, he's quite eclectic. He tries to find. What are the enemies of modernity, of freedom, of liberalism? Whatever is the enemy, I want to get something because I want to attack these ideas from every possible angle. So, Simo, tell us a bit about the history of Alexander Dugin. Yeah, so basically Dugin is a philosopher, I would say particularly a political philosopher. He's a public intellectual, especially, of course, mostly in Russia, but, well, recently not to only he's a prolific author he's published dozens of books such as eurasian mission of uh, the united states and the new world order uh the fourth political theory or political platonism just to name but a few uh now as for his uh, political activism uh when you take a look at his history uh for example in the early 90s he's one of the leaders of the National Bolshevism movement. He's, he's a co-founder of the National Bolshevik Party. Uh, but also, when you look at his past, you Sorry, can Just to see clarify here for our audience, when we say yeah. National Bolsheviks, people need to understand this is, if you can imagine it, a mix of ultranational fascists and communists. So Dugin says, which are the two ideologies that attack freedom more? Communism and fascist. I want a bit of both. So he creates this very weird movement, National Bolsheviks, which never really took off. But he, he maintained, even when he gave up on the project, he maintained this idea that anything that attacks liberalism, I'm for it. Yeah, I mean, even if we go back uh, in the past, 
to the early 80s when he was pretty young, uh, he was a member of an, of a, of an illegal uh, far-right uh, group called the Black Order of SS. So, um, and, and it also explains his, it, it's an example of his interest and fascination with, with esotericism, especially esotericism in the Third Reich, but not only, uh, his, he, he's also fascinated with religion. So I think that in, uh, probably in 1997, he becomes a member of Old Believers. It's an Eastern Orthodox Christian sect. Uh, and then, of course, he is mostly known for his uh, for being one of the leaders, or maybe the leader of Eurasianism. So, Eurasianism uh, is an ideology that sees Russia as a standalone civilization, which is neither European nor Asian. Uh, that is, thus, it's Eurasian. Um, and he was also now. You mentioned Nikos that he was. Uh, teaching in the military academy of the general staff of the Russian armed forces. And so basically he was trying to make his Eurasianism, Eurasianist ideology, a strategic paradigm in the Russian forces. And so if you combine all of this, and this is just, you know, a few facts about him. If you combine all of this, uh, you get a, I would say, uh, pretty honestly, a crazy uh, eclecticism of of mysticism, of religion, or even religions, uh, and and totalitarianism. And what is the final product of this mix of the different ideas for Dugin? His amalgam of all these ideas is what he calls the fourth political theory. So first of all, let's understand why fourth. What are the first three? The first three are liberalism, communism, and fascism. And for Dugin, there is a need for a fourth paradigm, for a fourth theory, because there is a problem with fascism and communism. And the main problem with fascism and communism is that they failed to crush liberalism. So for Dugin, the main question is, what will be the political paradigm that will crush liberalism, that will crush modernity. By modernity, he means what we understand as the Enlightenment, the period of the Industrial Revolution, the time where humanity made this huge leap towards uh, the society that we've uh, enjoyed in the last uh, 200 or so years. So for Dugin, modernity is the biggest disaster, the biggest catastrophe in the history of humanity, and therefore it needs to be destroyed. Now, he says that communism and fascism has some good things and some bad things. But in any case, they're not really relevant anymore because they failed to defeat liberalism. And he claims that liberalism is the biggest evil that the world has seen. So it's way worse than communism and fascism. So it's interesting to see what he considered the pros and cons of communism and fascism because he says we can keep some stuff in our battle against liberalism. So let's start with communism. Good thing for communism, according to Dugin, it's collectivism. So it's at its center, it's not the individual, which we will see is the ultimate evil. At its center is a group, the class. 
Good thing for fascism, indeed, that at its center is also a group, the ethnos, the nation. Now, another good thing for communism is its attack on bourgeois society, its attack on liberalism, its attack on capitalism. Therefore, we keep that stuff from fascism. But not a good thing in fascism, according to Dugin, is racism. Can you guess why? Not because it's a collectivist view of the world or whatever, but because he says racism is uh, it's claiming that you can judge other cultures. As we see, for Dugin, no one can judge anyone. Of course, we can judge the West that it's horrible, but otherwise, every culture is to be beyond any judgment. So for him, racism is not very, it's not very practical. And from communism, he doesn't like the fact that it was too materialistic. It promised progress. And for Dugin, progress is a dirty word. So, why is liberalism then the ultimate evil? It is the ultimate evil because at its center, because as its unit, it has the individual. At its unit, it has the free human being. So Dugin says, his words uh, in quotes, we must strike the individual, abolish him, and cast him into the periphery of political consideration. End of quote. I don't think I've heard ever a philosopher putting it so bluntly that the individual is to be crushed, is to be destroyed. And a phrase that many of us hold as very, very significant and very, very, a very, very good idea that man is the measure of all things. For Jugin, this is the motto that is the absolute evil. This is a motto which needs to be once and for all destroyed. So the question now is Zimovit, why does he have such disdain for the idea of freedom and the idea of individualism? Yeah, for Dugin, so Dugin claims that in liberalism, uh, the normative subject is the individual. Now, why is that a problem? It's a problem because in practice, it means that the individual is, is freed from various uh, communities, from family, from tribe, or from nation. And what to it, and it leads to, uh, to basically destroying ethnos. Now, ethnos for Dugin, it's a community of language, uh, shared practices, uh, religious beliefs. Basically, ethnos is a group of people who perceive the world in the same or at least in a very similar way. They have the same language. Uh, he also refers to uh, Wittgenstein's idea of language games uh, and so on. And so liberalism destroys it. Why? Well, because it liberates the individual from, from uh, ethnos. And it's, of course, it's incompatible with ethnocentrism. So ethnocentrism is the idea that it is the ethnos that should be the normative subject not the individual to translate because it's a greek word to translate it maybe for some people who are not very familiar with it it's loosely can be translated as the nation yes so he ethnos even, I the think, nation. yes because i think that he even uses the word narod which at least in polish means literally nation um mm -hmm. so what are the other problems with liberalism and individualism and they're all interconnected 
So of course, it also destroys tradition. And tradition is one of the most important aspects of ethnos. Um, but it also leads to globalism. Why is globalism wrong? Why is it for Lugin even evil? Well, it's evil because globalism spreads what? Individualism and liberalism. And so it's destroying various ethnoses uh, around the globe. And also there are, so he talks a lot about uh, the, the uh, evil aspects of liberalism. Um, some are sound, some are less sound. So for, so for example, she also says that liberalism um, protects the rights of a small man, but real freedom is freedom of great men. Now he doesn't really explains what he means by that, but what I guess uh, is that it means that great that the freedom of great men is the freedom to be oppressive rulers uh, of a nation of, or of a group. Um, and, and also uh, he, he has some absurd um, claims about liberalism that it's responsible for humanitarian crimes, for wars and, for example, for slavery. And he says that explicitly. But basically, uh, we can sum it up as saying that for Dugin, liberalism and individualism are wrong, are, are, are evil, are to be destroyed. Why? Because they are against collectivism. And I think that ultimately, Dugin is for collectivism. He is indeed. So the unit of the fourth political theory for Dugin is the ethni, which is the plural of ethnos, or to put it in simple terms, the nations. Now, terms and conditions apply. If your nation is Ukraine or another Baltic state, tough luck. But otherwise, he believes that the, 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 the subject, our point of attention should not be in the individual, it should be the group. And also the standards on based on how these nations, this ethnic, organize their life is tradition. Which tradition? Any tradition. So for Dugin, tradition is good no matter what. Is your tradition to do, I don't know, human sacrifices? Good, it's your tradition. Is your tradition to engage in, uh, I don't know what, horrible practices? It's okay, it's your tradition. Now, for Dugin, remember, we cannot judge other cultures or other traditions, and we will see, uh, we will see, uh, we will see why. So, for him, the aim is to reach some level of quote freedom, but not freedom for the individual, freedom for the ethnic to follow their destiny. Who is to tell what that destiny is? We never find out. What does that quote freedom to pursue the destiny means? Again, we never know. So notice here what the fourth political theory tells us. And for Dugin, it's actually virtues that it's an quote open theory. So Dugin tells us, take the ideas that have led to humanity's biggest achievements and biggest progress that we've ever seen from human lifespan to, 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 human, to wealth created, to eradicating diseases, take all this, Dugin says, and throw it away. For what? For something that he won't bother to tell us, for something which is, quote, 
open. So this is what Dugin asks us to do. He tells us, throw away modernity for something which you will feel it. We never find out what it is that we will feel. So the question now that I want to address is, what is the philosophical basis? What is the philosophical structure based on which Dugin can build this very, very, uh, in my view, despicable ideas? And it's and a crucial point. You, yeah. Yeah, before we go to that, uh, you said that, yeah, that if you're a Baltic state, tough luck. And I think it's uh, very important to emphasize that for Dugin, what matters is, is really Russia. He says, Russia is everything, all else is nothing. And so that is why he believes that uh, the nations, that the Russian Empire or the Russian Federation or the Soviet Union sees as, as Russian, they have, they can basically uh, take them. Uh, and so it, uh, it applies to Ukraine, it applies to Belarus, and it probably also applies to to uh, to the Baltic states, uh, so it's a so it's a peaceful coexistence only to the extent that these other groups, these other countries or or nations are not deemed as Russian. And and you said that he's full of contradictions, and we see the contradiction here. The contradiction is. Uh, every a diversity of nations that are all equal and at the same time Russia above everything else, Russia uber alles. So what yeah. can be the worldview of someone who comes up, like Dugin, who comes up with such ideas? And this is a crucial point because if we understand what are the premises of Dugin and if we see to what horrendous ideas they lead and we will see some more of his horrendous ideas, we will have to be in the lookout for such premises. When we see other movements having these premises, we have to say uh, we need to be very careful with these movements and with these ideas because they are not up to good. So Dugin goes back to Aristotle. Now, in, in theory, he praises Aristotle. But when he tries to spot when things started going wrong, he goes to Aristotle's formulation of A is A something that will be familiar to many of our viewers who are familiar with objectivism also. So what does A is A mean? It means that this is a cap and it is it cannot be anything else at the same time. It cannot be a dinosaur. It cannot be a football. This is a cap. Everything is something specific. Everything has an identity. Everything has a nature. For Dugin, this is hierarchical and oppressive. The idea that there is one truth, that the idea there is one reality for Dugin is not a good thing. For Dugin, this is a Western, uh, this is a, almost the West trying to, in a racist and imperialistic way, impose its worldview on other places and on other cultures. Because for Dugin, there is a Russian truth, there is a Western truth, there is an indigenous truth, a female truth, and many other truths. Dugin tells us explicitly, I quote him, there are no facts, there are only interpretations. And also for Dugin, there is no such thing as an objective standard based on which we can judge things are good or bad. No. 
Jugin, to have an objective standard would mean that one form of knowing, one form of coming into contact with reality, put differently, one epistemology is superior to others. And for Jugin, this is not the case. For Jugin, primitive societies who, uh, I don't know, read the, the stars and predict the future, this is just a different form of knowing. So it's just a different, as he says, quote, logos. So the, the West, according to Dugin, is guilty, except from all the other things, because it is trying to, cons to, to, to present its values as universal and as superior. So the question I have to, for you, Zimovit, is the following one. Here we have someone who says, it's racist to claim that there is one truth. All cultures are the same. And we cannot say that one culture is better than another culture, even if it's the most industrialized and developed culture compared to a primitive culture. And there are no facts, only interpretations. Does it remind you of any other movement that is quite trendy, actually, in the last decades? Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I mean, it does. And I think that we can think about Dugan as a proud postmodernist. Now, why? Well, basically because he's using postmodern thought as a tool to attack uh, the epistemological premises of liberalism, which amounts to reason. So for Dugin, reason is an enemy. Again, reason for Dugin is an enemy. Well, why? Basically because it destroyed uh, the Christian epistemology with our spiritual link to the transcendental non-material reality. So uh, instead, because of reason, it placed materialism over spiritual values, or it placed uh, the tradesman over the noble warrior. And uh, so as an, as an example, Dugin complains about gravity being explained in terms of science and in terms of physics. Well, why? Because it ruined the spiritual uh, understanding of gravity as the orientation of the soul towards the earth. And that is why, so reason is an, is an enemy, and that is why Dugin welcomes any form of irrationality, which for him can be used as a shield against reason. So uh, cults, spiritual traditions, religions, even the occult. And when you, and again, now we're going, moving back to what we've said about his past. When you look at his life, you know that he's interested, he has this fascination with uh, esotericism, uh, with, uh, with the occult. So for example, I think that in the, I think in the late nineties, he has links to the order of the temple of the, of the, of the East, which is an occult organization per se. Um, and so for Dugin, so Dugin practices what he preaches, uh, because of his interest and, uh, and, 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 and his dealings with various groups, uh, various mystical groups. But also another consequence of Dugin's postmodern approach 
is the way he uses words or terms or we could say concepts. So he uses them basically as he wants. So he stretches them. So for example, progress, uh, he sometimes calls it genocide. Uh, for, for example, the fact that some people accept liberalism, he says that it's that that because of that liberalism uh, is basically racism, uh, or that or or that it viol that it viol violates the rights of of the uh, ancestors. And so when you read Dugin, you see a lot of um, heavy concepts, concepts like genocide, like racism, slavery, used in a very unusual ways. And I think that it's part of his postmodern uh, way of thinking or, or philosophizing, if you will. And how tragic, intellectually tragic, that the ideas that come out of such a personality like Dugin are ideas that will be familiar to everyone studying in humanities in a Western university because they say exactly the same things. There is no one standard of reality. There is not one truth. You cannot say that one culture is better than another than another culture. So let us see now what are the practical consequences of these ideas by Dugin. So if there is a Russian truth, which is inexplicable to anyone else and we should not be able to judge it, then this gives Dugin a carte blanche. This gives him a free reign to or, and a free reign to Russia to do anything it wants and no one can actually comment on it. So, for example, if Russia attacks another sovereign country and tries to annihilate it, for Dugin, this is for, for his truth is that this is just a spiritual experience. And this is just Russia trying to do a service to the world and establishing a multipolar world, world which is the big idea behind uh, his geopolitics, that we need a multipolarity and a multipolar world. Or there was, a, there was an interview and someone, a Western journalist, asked Dugin, what do, how do you comment about uh, Russian jets uh, dropping bombs on Aleppo? And Dugin replies, but what is a jet? What is a bomb? What is Aleppo? What do you mean uh, that the bomb fall on uh, innocent victims? What are these words? These words mean something for you, but they do not mean something for me. So the guy, it's, it's like he comes out of the pages of Atlas Shrugged and being a, a, a villain. I remember that, that for those of you who have read the book, after the tunnel disaster, there's this philosopher who says, who knows if there was a tunnel disaster? Because how can you know there is a tunnel? How can you know that uh, these people who die even ever existed? So this, you, you see, you watch an interview of Dugin, and it's as if you're seeing these, uh, these bad uh, villainous philosophers out of uh, Atlas Rack. But notice also, notice also how Putin is using a similar narrative which says that we have our own truth and the West should not be able to criticize this. So at some point, Putin says that Ukraine, the, the state of Ukraine, passing some reforms that have to do with uh, uh, sidestepping the Russian uh, culture or the Russian language, he says that this is the equivalent of using weapons of mass destruction. So this basically means words do not have meaning. 
a, a cultural reform is a weapon of mass destruction. Or he calls his war a special military operation. But there's also another way in which Putin follows on Dugin's steps. And this is Putin's collectivism. So if you go back and you read some texts or some speeches that Putin made to justify the war in Ukraine, you will see this, this submission to the group and the submission to tradition. So Putin basically says, Ukraine has been Russia since forever. And he gives this example. In the 14th century, there was this uh, religious figure who said uh, that our language is uh, the same. So to translate this in the current world, there's the Ukrainians who say, we want to be free. We don't want to live under your reign. And Putin says, tough luck. Because we are one, because we are bound by tradition. Tradition and the, quote, ethnic group is destiny. So this geopolitical determinism that is present in Dugin is also present on uh, Putin. And one last thing I want to say on that theme of it is perhaps the darkest and perhaps the most and perhaps the scariest product of Dugin's philosophy is this death worship. Because if the individual is of no importance, if having nice things in life is of no importance. At some point in his fourth political theory, Dugin says, the washing machine is overrated. Why do you need it? People have lived uh, without it. Progress is uh, not necessarily a good thing. So he has this vision that we need to go back to a life which is more uh, agrarian. So you see that for him, your pursuit in your life is not very important. But this means that also for him, life itself is not important. And you, as an individual, you are not important. So recently, when he was asked about the war in Ukraine, which, as you said, Zimovic, he wholeheartedly approves. And actually, he's critical of Putin because he wants to go even harder against the Ukraine. Someone asked him, what will happen to this war? And Dugin says, quote, there are two possibilities. It will end when we win. It's not too easy, though. And the second possibility is that this fight will end with the end of the world. Either we win or the world will be destroyed. End of quote. Let me read this again, the last part. Either we win or the world will be destroyed. And Dugin is not the only uh, opinion maker, let's say, in Russia who holds this view. We see uh, the we see propaganda propagandists like Vladimir uh, Solovyov, uh, the, the famous Russian TV propagandist, who only a couple of days ago said on TV that lit he literally said life is overrated. So if you die on the front, it's okay because life is not that great anyway. If you follow me on Twitter, I tweeted the, I think yesterday that particular clip because it's one of the things that you have to see it to to believe it. But also we have other figures in Russia, like the patriarch uh, Kirill, who also see the invasion of Ukraine as this almost spiritual experience, this the war as being a spiritual experience. Now, Zimovit, uh, we've we've also heard Ayn Rand making some uh, some claims about the yeah. what she calls the sense of life of the Russian culture and how it views uh, death and suffering. Tell us a bit more about that. 
Yeah, so so Rand was had a very low opinion of Russian culture uh, and also Russian history. Uh, she believed that uh, it's a country and nation that it's basically steeped in religion, in faith, in sacrifice, humility, and 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 servility. Uh, and you can see that throughout the whole Russian history. Uh, but in uh, a, in a 1967 interview with uh, Johnny Carson, she said explicitly, and I quote, I am opposed to the whole Russian culture, which is a mystical one. Now, again, I'm, I am opposed to the whole Russian culture, which is a mystical one. Now, uh, she also said that she likes or, or even admires a few writers. But apart from that, she views Russian culture as, again, a mystical one. And I think that when we look at Dugin, at what he says, what he's done in his life, being a member of a Black Order of uh, SS or uh, being a, a member or of various sects, uh, being an advocate of anti-reason, of irrationality, I think... He's a walking embodiment of Russian mysticism, if you think about it. He he is like and he an would exemplification. Ag he would agree, actually. He would agree with Rand. He would say, yes, indeed. You in the West, you care about happiness, about material. We in Russia, we care about uh, things like... Uh, the, the the superior uh, the superior values which which he which he he considers for example uh, suffering dying for your for something greater he considers the superior value so it's not even that we are making a case that Dugin will say oh I'm offended by this view he'll say yes of course we are this is exactly who we are yeah I mean if you if you read his political Platonism uh, what he basically says there that there is uh, this world of forms or uh, ideas uh, that is this perfect world and that the material world is a lesser one, is inferior and that we should be thinking our hearts, our minds should be directed towards this uh, true reality of ideas or forms. So yeah, he's pretty explicit uh, about it. But I know and, that he uh, also... Get some comments on Rand herself, Nikos. Yeah, uh, w w the, one of the most hilarious parts of reading the fourth political theory was the, the page where he refers to Ayn Rand. So he has the understanding, his understanding of Ayn Rand is the understanding of a really, really bad first year uh, politics or sociology university student in a bad, uh, in a bad university. So he says things like, uh, Ayn Rand believes that if you are rich, uh, you're a good person and that the, the rich should uh, oppress the poor. So he, he hasn't even probably visited uh, Ayn Rand's uh, Wikipedia's, uh, Wikipedia page. Now, I want to finish with one last thing, though, here, Zimovic, because yeah. for me, this is very important. Why is it that some people in the so-called dissident right or the new right or however you want to call it, why do they find this character appealing? Why does Steve Bannon find Dugin appealing? Why is it that the paleoconservative Paul Gottfried, with very strong links also with prominent libertarian institutions, 
Why did he write the foreword to one of the books of Dugin? Why is it that Dugin has been featured in libertarian podcasts? Why has, we, why has he been interviewed by uh, the podcast and by, episode, by various uh, prominent uh, dissident rightists in the United, of the United States? And not interviewed in terms of, look what this guy is saying, but, oh, you have so many interesting things to tell us. Tell us more. He's even been in Alex Jones uh, some years ago, and he has had impact on uh, on the also on the alt uh, on the alternative right. So here you have movements which supposedly supposedly want to save the West from decadence, who supposedly want to save the West from uh, postmodernist neo-Marxists or whatever, and you see these people finding Dugin quite interesting. So, and I'm, tr I'm asking myself why it takes five seconds to go to even go in his Wikipedia page to figure out what Dugin is about, because all the things we discussed today, he doesn't keep them secret. He's open with all these things. So I wonder, could it be that for these people, for some paleoconservatives or paleolibertarians, is it that for them also modernity? is an anathema. Is it for them also a problem that reason is an enemy because it has put aside religion and mysticism? Could it be that also for them, the United States is the empire of, uh, is the empire of evil? And is it that also for them, individualism is something which is to be crushed? So I would say this as my, uh, let's say, call to arms that if you want to save the West, if you really actually understand what the West, what is good about the West, what is good about the Enlightenment, and what is good about freedom, then you have to throw to the bin all the political movements that have become trendy lately that tell you that actually reason and individualism is a problem. And this would also include throwing to the bin movements such as the national conservatives. Now, I know that at least the good people in the national conservative movement would say, we don't want anything to do with someone like Dugin. But notice that they also believe that, uh, this, uh, that this alliance between conservatism and liberalism has been a big mistake. They also believe that reason and they also believe that tradition is more important than freedom. So there are many movements out there today uh, that are quite appealing to some people because supposedly they go against the left. But it is important to ask ourselves if a movement shares the premise that individualism is bad, that reason is overrated, and that uh, whatever the West and, uh, uh, symbolizes this idea of uh, that we succeed in life via trade, via, via production. All these movements that consider these ideas quite bad, ask yourself, how far are they in their premises by a dark figure like, uh, like Dugin? So that's all I want so, to say. Nikos, yes. before we wrap up, now that you, you've mentioned all those individuals and groups that are allegedly pro-West, but nonetheless, in some way or another, support Dugin 
or think about him as an as an important figure, as an important or intellectual. Or premises, even if they say we don't like the guy. Now, let me, so it actually reminded me of a quote from Rand from her essay, The Lessons of Vietnam. Now, uh, at the beginning of this, of this essay, she's uh, describing her, uh, the time uh, during the Russian Civil War when she was a teenager. And she says, I wondered even in those years, which is morally worse? evil or the appeasement of evil the cowardly evasion that leaves an evil unnamed unanswered and unchallenged and so i believe that dogin is 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 evil is an evil person an evil thinker but we should also remember about those who appease what's uh, evil how crazy it is that the person who was the number one, let's say, ideological influence on Trump, Steve Bannon, was someone who considered Dugin oh, a very interesting, uh, very interesting thinker. It's it's unbelievable to it's unbelievable to think about it. Anyway, Zimovic. So what happens? Uh, what happens next week? Yeah. So next week uh, we are going to hold Q and A on religion and God uh, and and Ryan's view of. Uh, of, of reason and faith with uh, Aaron Smith and Mike Matza and myself as a moderator on, I think, January 14th. So please send your questions at newideal at uh, Please also send us questions for future Q&A uh, episodes. Uh, now, if you enjoy this podcast, uh, please subscribe to our channel, uh, click this bell uh, button to get notification uh, leave a like a comment and again if you enjoy this uh, podcast uh, share it with your friends on your social uh, media and also if you have any questions or comments about this uh, about today's uh, episode you can always uh, write uh, write to us an email at again new ideal uh, at ironrun.org or also, if you have suggestions for future episodes, is there another thinker who you think is important or influential and we need to cover? Send us your uh, suggestions on that email. So, Zimovit, thank you for being uh, for thank you for this. Many thanks to our audience, and see you soon. My my pleasure. See you soon, guys. Bye. You've been listening to New Ideal, a podcast from the Ayn Rand Institute. If you like what you hear, leave us a review, share with a friend, and subscribe to our other podcasts. This podcast was made possible by donors to the Ayn Rand Institute. Help support this podcast by becoming an ARI member. Go to aynrand.org forward slash membership.